Welcome to Pocket Fiction by Steve Cook. Numbers Station, a short story. Max turned the dial on his old shortwave radio. The space between stations hummed and crackled, static spiking, and then her voice came through, carefully enunciating. Six, two, eight, four, nine, the end, the end. Please stand by. A jaunty little tune started, fuzzy with audio distortion. Just as he had done every night for over a decade, Max opened the little pad and picked up his pencil. He fished the pocket knife out of his trousers and tidied up the point of the pencil, then carefully gathered the loose shavings into a pile that he would eventually sweep into tonight's piece of paper and then incinerate. As the music ended, he turned the pad slightly and bent his head to the speaker. Message begins. Two, seven, two, three, one, eight. As he mechanically wrote, his mind wondered. Who was she? Some faceless operative, probably, working for the same agency that had recruited him. But surely she had a story, a history. She sounded attractive, mysterious. Seven, one, nine, zero, three, two. A child could do it. Write down the message and decode it using the keys, which were typed on thin pieces of paper, shiny and prone to smudging. The keys were delivered by mail each week, innocuously packaged and always with a different postmark. Five, two, six, six, seven, seven. The messages were always the same sort of thing, a riff on no status change, listen for message tomorrow. With the revolution now a distant memory, Max was pretty sure that there was no one on the other end of the signal anymore. But maybe there was. That curiosity... The dedication to duty was why he stayed in each night waiting for the message, instead of taking up invites to go out drinking, or whatever it was that people did. He'd never brought anyone home. How would he be able to explain the need to write down these numbers right in the middle of a TV programme, for example, or during sex? And what if he missed a broadcast, the broadcast that would make it all worthwhile? The numbers repeated a few times before moving on to make sure he got them all, and then it was over. The end. The end. And then, dead air. Max frowned. Where was the usual, please stand by, or the music? He reached for today's key, the last one in the envelope, and began to decode the message. As he wrote down each letter, his pencil began to shake in his hands, the last couple of letters spidery. The message was short, and when he was done, he put his pencil down and read it a few times. Find love. Find love. Max looked around his cold apartment and then stood up. The chair squealed on the bare floor. He slipped his shoes on, grabbed his coat from the hook, and went out into the cold Moscow night.
The Grey Wall by Eleanor Rutter. I wait. There is a great beauty in the stillness of a new day. It is yet unformed. It curls about itself like a bird in an egg. Folded limbs, feathers wet, unsure and uncertain of what it will become. Beautiful in its hazy uncertainty. Untainted. This is the only time I wait. I am not a patient man. I have never been cautious. I stride out. I walk between the silent towers, as yet unfilled with the hum of day. The forest is quiet and conceals its dragons and giants with a miser's jealousy. I walk and nothing thinks to stop me. People say, watch your step. People say, mind where you're going. Always afraid, always fearful. They hold the terror of their own fates above their heads, a sword and a horror to fall upon them. Don't step on the cracks. I care not for fate. It means nothing to me. I exist in this moment and this moment only. I and this moment are alone. Only we exist. People are so frightened of the road ahead, of where it may lead them. Untrustworthy, monstrous thing. It lies before us, shivering quietly, hiding its many heads, filled with many teeth. I am not afraid of it. I walk upon its writhing back and dare it to try and bite me. Now there is work to be done. I touch the totems, feel out the haunted places, watch the hobgoblins as they try to hide as leaves. I pass an old friend that morning. He sits at his desk, straight back and terribly smart. I have to admire his neatness in this endlessly messy world. He smooths down his pressed white shirt front and tugs at his pressed white cuffs. I catch his eye and he smiles at me. He has an odd habit of sniffing loudly. It causes one side of his neatly trimmed moustache to lift and the other to follow. He rarely moves. An injury from his childhood causes him to limp. I think it makes him sit up all the straighter. He's a good lad, working hard, always watching. There is no vice in him. He's a Puritan at heart. I imagine it was beaten into him by his mother. He has strained his eyes from his long watch and he peers down at me from his desk with a watery stare. We exchange our trade of pleasant verbal banter and I carry on down the serpent's back. I hear him call out to me. He had forgotten. The foreigner wants to see you. The foreigner lives before the grey wall. He sits upon his throne of bird skulls. The thorns grow high above his crowned head. About his slippered feet his whores and wives drape themselves. Some smell of wine. Some smell of vinegar. All smell divine to me. You cannot trust the foreigner. He comes from a clime hotter than this one. He watches me with his tiger-bright eyes and I sense the eyes of a thousand ancestors balefully watching me too. We trade. Wisdom for news. Gossip for knowledge. 
a chance to face the monolith. At his back, beyond his throne, is the grey wall, the last stronghold, an ancient sleeping god, the bastion of a noble fair kingdom, to climb, to reach its summit, a purpose for an old man like myself. There you are, Mr Tom! Mrs Jennings bustled into her kitchen and switched on the lights. She shuffled across the lino, turning on her old radio, and tapped the window where her cat waited. Mr Tom stood, stretched, and flicked out his tail like a salute. It was some minutes before Mrs Jennings would open the window and let him stride in. He bounced to the floor and turned to give her a creaking meow of gratitude. She stroked his head. He was an ugly brute of a cat. His ears were ragged banners and his head scabby with scars. But he purred when his owner ran her knotted, arthritic hands down his back. She fetched his biscuits and rattled them into his bowl. He half-closed his eyes in pleasure. She quietly smoked her first cigarette of the day. When he had finished his breakfast, he hopped up onto the windowsill beside her. They watched the grey wall at the end of the garden. A tabby cat strode about, followed by his many wives. A black and white Tom watched the world wander past. And Mr Tom sat with Mrs Jennings and was content. (laughs) 